Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, where we've been for several weeks now. We're going to stand as we read together, beginning with verse 13. We'll finish this chapter up. We'll spend a couple of weeks in chapter 5, and we'll bring this uh, series to a conclusion in, in the uh, uh, early days of March. All right, you found 1 John. Kind of hides there in the back of your Bible, but chapter 4, verse 13, John's writing, This is how we know that we remain in Him, and He in us. He has given us from His Spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in Him and He in God. And we have come to know and believe, do we know what we believe? <laughs> We've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. And this love is perfected or manifest with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. For we are as he is in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out or casts out all fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection or maturity in love. We love because he first loved us. Fathers, we conclude this great chapter, this, this wonderful letter, and look at this Second message on real love. Lord, I pray that we would further examine ourselves, but that your Holy Spirit would teach us how to love. And I pray that today, Lord, we, we go beyond the marriage relationship as we consider first and foremost our love for you, our love for others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. You know, love, real love, has to mature. It has to grow up, but I want you to hear some love letters. These were short little love letters, as you might can imagine, uh, and I, I couldn't share all of the ones that I was able to find, but you know what happens you know, to, to love letters now when, when people find them or people find one a kid has written uh, maybe themselves and haven't given away, or maybe they find one that their child received from somebody else. Nowadays, it's different than when I was little. Nowadays, mom can take a picture of it and post that thing on social media. So you really have to be careful. Now, when I was a, a, a youth pastor, I remember Tina used to be able, um, you might think she has short arms, but, but our youth group would, might be sitting behind us in church, and somebody on about the third or fourth row back could be passing a note, and somehow Tina would reach back and snatch that note right out of their hands, and she would read it. So they learned real quickly, you don't pass notes in church or youth group meetings and things like that. I mean, she could snatch those things, and uh, kind of scary to have that letter snatched out of your hand and read by uh, the youth pastor's wife or by mom or somebody else who might find that letter, right? Well, nowadays, they'll put those things on social media. And so here are some of the ones, some of the most popular ones that have been, um, that have kind of gone viral on social media. One, uh, one was posted that simply said, Dear Alexis, I want to inform you that I kind of like you. And then it said, don't laugh, this is serious. Anybody want to claim that one? Here's one that says, dear Ashley, will you please be my girlfriend? 
yes or no, circle one. Now, some of you made the circles or the boxes, so you, you've been there before. Well, the response was written on the note, and it said, no, I am sorry, but I already have a boyfriend, Kyle. But you are my next choice. <laughs> and I will probably break up with Kyle in a month or two. I didn't see where that one was signed, but at least by the, uh, the, the guy who wrote it to start with. It says, the, the next one said, Dear Christian, C-R-E-S-T-O-N, um, I think you are cute. I, I wish you can like me too. We'd be so happy together. We'd be like birds flying in the air. One young lady just... Uh, wrote a note and passed it to the boy next to her that said, roses are red, violets are blue. Bacon is awesome, and so are you. <laughs> Signed Amelia. Now, that was, uh, that was a young lady after my own heart, I guess. Bacon is awesome. And then one said, I love you, do you love me? A lot of you wrote that one when you were little. I love you, do you love me? Check yes or no. And the note came back, I won't know until I'm 18. <laughs> and you don't know either. Now, I thought that was clever. That's something that, that I was kind of preaching and hinting on last week. Love uh, has to mature, right? Love has to, to grow up. And so we're going to be talking about that this morning. We continue looking at these evidences of if, if we are for real. And when it comes to the subject of, of real faith, authentic faith, 1 John really teaches us. Now, you might consider sometimes the Gospels give us an explanation of, of who Christ is and what love is. And then the book of Acts gives us uh, the example. And then you get to the epistles, the letters. It also gives us the exhortation. So that might be a new way you look at the Gospels. The Gospels being the explanation of love. Acts showing us the example of the church going out and doing the work of love. And then the epistles, that exhortation for the churches to keep on doing what they're doing. So we've been asking, are you for real? And talking about the dangers of authentic faith. And last week we began to see that if our faith is real, then we're going to have this thing called real love. And we applied it primarily to marriage. But let's look at all of this in the context of what John's been trying to say. In chapter 1, we said that if our faith is real, we'll believe in his word, we'll enter into these joyful, uh, a joyful relationship with God and joyful relationships with one another. We'll experience real forgiveness and we'll learn to forgive. In chapter 2, we saw that there would be a new loyalty in our lives, that there would be real change as we begin to forgive others and walk in forgiveness. We saw that there would be real victory in our lives, that we would be a contender, not a pretender, right? That got us all ready for the uh, Super Bowl and the Falcons contended for three quarters. We saw in chapter 3 that this contender was a, a, a child who was destined to win, that sin's grip is being defeated in our lives if we are for real. And then in chapter 4, we begin to look at this thing called real love. It's developed when we first loved God. It was demonstrated by the very sacrifice of Jesus Christ on a cross, and it's seen in our testimony to the world, as we'll see in these verses that we looked at this morning. So if you are for real, not only would you discover this thing called real love, but if you are for real, if your faith is genuine, if you're an authentic follower of Jesus Christ, 
not only are you going to learn what real love is, but that love is going to mature in your life. You're going to grow in that love. Love, again, is not something we fall into. Love is something we grow in. Now, we might be smitten with love. We might be overwhelmed with infatuation. But real love is something we grow in through growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what does this mature love look like? As love matures, how will you know that it's maturing? Mature love, according to verses 14, 15, and 16 in this text, mature love makes me unashamed of my confession. Real love is an unashamed love, and it's unashamed of what it believes. And so a person who is mature in their faith, who is authentic in their faith, will begin to mature in their love, and that mature love will make them unashamed in their confession. And so in verse 14, he begins to talk about this. Now, he says in verse 14, we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent the Son. This word testify, ha- having seen and testify, he's, he's re- reiterating those things that he said in chapter 1 as he began this letter in those first few verses. He says those things that we have seen, th- th- those things we witness, that which we touch with our very own hands. Remember John, this author who wrote this letter was John the beloved disciple who walked with Jesus and in his gospel he never even calls himself by his own name John he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved yeah he's talking about man I saw him I walked with him I experienced I was in that inner circle I know that Jesus loved me I had that relationship with Christ and I'm following him I am unashamed of him And even though he would be the only disciple who did not die a martyr's death, as far as we know, according to history, he would be exiled to the island of Patmos where he would later receive the revelation of Jesus Christ and share that with us as well. But John would be willing to suffer whatever is necessary because of this love. He would be beaten. He would be persecuted. We read about that in Acts. And after he was beaten with rods, he went away with Peter rejoicing that he had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. He was unashamed of his profession of faith. He was unashamed of his confession in Christ. He says, and I've seen it, and I'm going to testify of that to everybody who will believe. And that word testify there is the same word we see in Acts 1.8 when it says that we will, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, be his witnesses, his testifiers, those who will witness. It's where we get our word martyr from, martyrio. We, we will be willing to tell people about Jesus, confess and profess our faith in Christ, regardless of whether or not it could even cost us our very own lives. And you might say this morning, well, you know, I want to be a witness for Christ. I don't want to be ashamed of Him. I don't want to be ashamed of my love. I want to make my love for Him known. I want to make my love for my spouse known, my love for my kids. I'm not willing, I'm not ashamed to tell, uh, I'm, I'm not afraid to tell anybody. I'm unashamed of my confession. Well, How do we know that we would love him that much? I would say that if we're not willing to live publicly for him, we would never be willing to die for him. And so John was willing not only to die for Christ, I believe he was willing to live for him, to to not be ashamed of his confession. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe. And so we see here in in these verses, in in verses 14, 15, and 16, we saw verse 14, but look at verse 15. He says, who who confesses that, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him, and he in God. That's 
something that's real. He's, he's not going to be ashamed to tell others. He's not ashamed of that confession. He's going to say, this is uh, who I believe in. This is who I've given my life to. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. We've embraced that love, and God is able now to allow his love to remain in us as our love remains in him. And, and so God working in us is working through us, and his love is being made evident. We saw that last week in verse 12. The world is now seeing that God is real because of the way that we love. And so if there is a love for God, a love for your spouse, a love for your kids, a love for your church family, a love for the people of this world, you're not going to be ashamed of that love. If I am ashamed of my love for my wife, you would say, well, that, that's a love that's not real. That's a relationship that, that's not real. I remember when, um, when Tina and I were dating, and, and everybody kind of knew that she was the one. And, and she would come and, and help with the uh, VBS at our church, this church I was serving when I was in seminary while we were dating. And the kids were doing this little skit one time, and it was kind of a, a comical skit, and it involved kind of pulling... Uh, a couple of the teenagers that were leading and they were supposed to stand up and I was supposed to act like I was kind of a, officiating a mock wedding and they didn't have a ring and they had these, um, uh, somebody had, had, had brought some onion rings and so we substituted. And I can't remember all the details of the skit, but I, I know they pulled one over on me that night. That They moved the skit up into in, in the assembly time at Vacation Bible School and, and one of the students stood up and all of a sudden made himself the preacher. And they called Tina and I up there as uh, the two that were supposed to be getting married. And I had not even proposed at this point yet. So we're standing there and I'm kind of turning red and Tina's turning red and all of that. And, and, and so I put this onion ring looking thing on my finger, you know. Well, that was a lot of fun, but it wasn't quite real yet. Now later, and many of you know the testimony, you know the story, I came back to Georgia with Tina on a trip. We went down to Hard Labor Creek State Park, near Rutledge, where I came to know Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that day, I asked her to be my wife, and I gave her, believe it or not, a real ring. Now, I wasn't the biggest diamond in the world, but it was real. Best I could tell, it was real. At least what I paid for it, it better have been real, Right? And so put a real diamond on her finger, and later we would stand at an altar, and we would exchange rings. And so that engagement ring became a wedding ring, and she gave me this ring right here. It's got uh, the psalm, Psalm 34.3, that I quoted when I proposed, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. We just celebrated 22 uh, years of... Um, uh, engagement anniversary yesterday would have been 22 years uh, since I proposed to her and so she later would place this ring now I would wear this even to this day I wear this ring with pride and, and I'm not ashamed but if you were to see me let's say in downtown Athens walking into a pub now if I walk into a pub I better have a Bible in my hand or at least some accountability because I need to be there to witness right but if you were to see me walk into one of these downtown pubs in Athens, and all of a sudden I look up and down the sidewalk, and I take this ring off, and I try to look and make sure nobody's watching, and I put it in my pocket, and I go in, and I'm not wearing the side of the covenant. 
What does that say about my relationship? Yeah, Tina says, if you see him do that, shoot him. Um, <laughs> but no, I want to acknowledge my wife before others. And so when I refer to Tina and I tell stories about Tina, and, we, and by the way, she gives me a lot of sermon illustrations I can't even use. I'll be, I'm just going to tell you. But I love my wife. I'm not ashamed. My wife, I want people to know that I'm in love. I was listening uh, as I was on the road traveling up to see Kent and back, I was listening to uh, people, everybody here just about knows that I quote more than anybody else, my, my, my best hero of the faith, Dr. Adrian Rogers, who's been with the Lord about 11 years. And as I was listening uh, to all of these messages to pastors that he was preaching, I noticed he, he said the name of his wife again and again and again. Her name is Joyce. And anybody who's listened to Adrian Rogers for any length of time, you know that his wife's name is Joyce. And I thought, I hope everybody knows in my preaching and my teaching, everybody who sits under my preaching, that I hope they all know my wife's name is Tina, because if they don't, then I haven't been broadcasting how much I love her and how proud I am of her. And so I don't always tell the stories just to get a laugh. I, I tell the stories to say I am in love, and I'm not ashamed of the fact that I'm in love. And so I wear this ring as a sign of the covenant. Now, there is a sign of the covenant when it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ. And that side of the covenant is water baptism. I believe it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. In other words, I could take this ring off, and it doesn't mean that I'll, I lost my salvation. I take this ring off, it doesn't mean that I'm not uh, married. If I'm not baptized, it doesn't mean that I'm not saved. But, you know, for a New Testament believer, it was unheard of to say that you had put your faith in Jesus Christ and not publicly confess and identify with him in water baptism and not publicly be willing to tell others that you believed in Jesus Christ. If you love him, you're not ashamed of your confession. You know, social media blew up last week on Valentine's Day because of so many of you putting pictures of you and your spouse and here's my love, and here's us together. And some of you did like me. You tried to find a picture of when you were about, you know, 25 years younger or something like that, right? But you put pictures of you and your spouse because you're saying, not ashamed to let you know who I'm married to. But listen, adults and young people alike, are you ashamed to let people know that you are the bride and the body of Christ? Do you love Jesus so much that you're willing to tell other people that you belong to him? Do you love your spouse? Do you love your family enough that you're not ashamed uh, to say that we as a family love God and belong to him? None of us should be ashamed. Now, most of the men here are proud uh, to, to, to point out their wife. I hope all of you are, because as uh, we were exiting, I, I pick on Tucker this morning, he's not here, but as they joined the church last week on the way out the door, Curtis reminded Tucker, because he's newly engaged, that all of us men married up in this church so he's just he's when he gets married he's following suit Jeff's following suit when he gets married we, we all kind of married up right well when we look at what it means to be saved and we look at what Jesus Christ did for us as we become the bride of Christ all of us marry up all of us become a part of something that is so much more wonderful and so much bigger than we are we get to be the body and the bride of Christ and we should never be ashamed of Christ. Mature love is not ashamed of our confession. Whether you're sitting in the workplace or a classroom in a, in a college campus or on a high school or middle school campus, you're not ashamed to say, I belong to Jesus Christ. I love him. His love is in me. His love remains in me. We confess that from the moment that we are baptized before his people to our witness, to our work, in whatever place in our community that God places us. Could it be that if we are ashamed 
It's because our love is not real. And if our love is not real, it could be because our relationship is not real. If the relationship is there, the love will be there. If the love's there, the relationship will be real. And we will not be ashamed of our confession. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, Paul says, man, it's his love. It's the love of Christ that compels us to tell people about him. Because the love is real, we're not ashamed. We can't wait to tell people what we believe and why. And secondly, as love grows up this morning, once you see that mature love makes me unafraid with a, a new confidence. I'm not going to walk in fear of what might happen to me in this life when I have a real love for God, when I have a real love for my wife, when I have the love of my family, when I have the love of the body of Christ, when real love is maturing, all of a sudden, I live my life without fear because of that love that's being perfected. Look at verse 17. And this love is perfected, or love is made more mature, depending on what translation you're reading. I'm reading in the Holman, it's kind of a word-for-word -word translation. It uses the word perfected there, but it says it's made manifest, or it is made mature with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, for we are as he is in this world. So I have a new confidence. And what is that confidence doing for me? What is that confidence doing in my life? Verse 18, there is no fear in love. Because this mature love, this perfect love, is driving out or casting out all fear because fear involves punishment. There's nothing you can do to separate me from the love of Christ. And I, if I have his love, and on top of that, he has blessed me with, with the love, this side of heaven, with the love of my family, the love of my friends, the love of my church. There's really nothing I need to be afraid of. And so he says, we don't have to worry about what this world can do to us. So the one who fears has not reached perfection or has not become mature in love. Love grows up. Love causes us not to be afraid of things anymore. Psalm 118 and verse 6, David says, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? If I've got God's love, I don't have to be afraid of what anybody else could do to me or say about me. In Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 1, it says this, that the righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee even if nobody's pursuing. What is that saying? It's saying if I'm in right relationship with God, if I am walking in his love and I know that I have a relationship with God, then I don't have to be afraid of what man can do me. The wicked, if I know I've got things in my life that do not please God and I'm not loving God as I ought to be loving God and I'm involved in things, in things that would separate me from God and things that I would be ashamed of before God, then I'm going to flee. I'm going to live my life paranoid. I'm going to live my life in fear even if nobody's pursuing but when I know that I have a right relationship with God, that I'm loving God, he's loving, it, he's loving me, and his love is abiding in me, and that's allowing me to love my wife like I'm to love my wife, to love my kids like I should love my kids, then I am as bold as a lion because I've got something that nobody in this life can take away from me. And that's the love of God. That should motivate us to live a life totally without fear because of what God is doing through us in love. A growing love for God in people makes the objects of intimidation in this world very small. 
A love for God. When you know that you love God and that He loves you, and that love is abiding in you, and it is coming out in the way you love your family, the way you love the body of Christ, even the way you love the lost people in this world, when that love is real, it makes those things in this life that would come across as intimidating, it makes them seem so small. They just kind of fade away because they can't hold a candle to that love. See, without that, you might be afraid of a boss, some kind of employer, you might be afraid of a professor, a school teacher. You might be afraid of a particular family member who's going to make life difficult for you. You might fear the devil himself. You might fear the temptation that's going to come your way. You might fear the threat that somebody has made. You might fear the flirtatious acts of sin around you that test you. But perfect love, when you know that you're loving God, you're walking in that love, walking in His Spirit, you don't have to be afraid of those things. This world can't do anything to you. I heard the story of a, somebody told of a small church where the devil showed up. The devil showed up and he made himself visible and everybody began to scream and cry and run out of the church, make their way to the doors. They were running all over people trying to get out of this church as the devil stood there. And the oldest man in the church just walked up and stood face to face with the devil. The devil said, why aren't you running? Aren't you afraid? He said, why should I be? I've been married to your sister for 40 years. Well, I hope that's not the kind of relationship that keeps you from being intimidated. How much better is it to say, listen, I've been walking with Jesus Christ. I am filled with His Spirit. I know that I have a love that's real between me and God, and because it's real between me and God, I'm able to love my wife or my husband or my children like God has called me to love them. I'm able to love the body of Christ, and I'm able to love the people in this world. And devil, there's nothing you can do to me. Nothing you can do that would, Romans 8, nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so just think about people like the Apostle Paul. He was compelled by the love of Christ to make Christ known. He could suffer persecution. As Dr. Tony Evans said, you couldn't do anything to Paul because if you said, Paul, we're going to kill you, he would say, well, you know, to die is gain. Well, Paul, we're just going to let you live. And he said, well, to live is Christ. Well, Paul, then we're not going to kill you or let you. We're just going to make you suffer. We're going to persecute you, and we're going to uh, put you in uh, jail and under house arrest and all that. And he said, well, I consider the sufferings of this world not worthy to be compared to the glories that will be revealed in Christ Jesus. So whether you kill me or let me live or make me suffer because I have this love relationship with Jesus Christ, there's nothing that a mortal can do to me to take that away. Mature love makes me unafraid. It helps me to live with a new confidence. Love prefers sacrifice, even death, over going after the fleshly desires and the things that this world has to offer and try to impress mankind. So somebody who's got this kind of real love, as your love matures, it casts out all fear because there's nothing this world can do to you to take that kind of love. What's most important, the best things in life, can't take that away from you. Might take material possessions, might take your health. Can't take away this relationship with Jesus Christ. And finally, this mature love makes me, as we sang about it earlier, makes me unrestrained with my commitment. Why? Because his commitment to me 
His love was unrestrained to me, and it helped me to have this unrestrained love with my commitment to him and to his mission. We love, verse 19, because he first loved us. Love does whatever it takes, right? Verse 10, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us and gave his son to be the sacrifice or the propitiation for our sins. Verse 20 says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So our love is manifest not just by how much we're talking about our love for God, but how much we're loving others. How that love that we have for God fleshes itself out through my service to him and the way that I love other people. Because God loves me, he accepts me. And because he accepts me, by his grace, I can now accept you. And you can accept me because of God's acceptance of me and God's love for me. Because of that, I now have a command and imperative. He doesn't give us, you know, what's interesting, in the scriptures you'll find other words for love. Some of you know the word phileo. What we get is in the word Philadelphia, brotherly love, a phileo, a strong kind of love, a family kind of love, a deep kind of affection. And sometimes it was even used interchangeably with agape. But this kind of love, phileo, is never used in the Bible anywhere in the imperative case. In other words, it's never a command. It's something that just kind of happens. But this agape love is different. We're commanded to do this. Again, it takes on action, not just feeling, not just by mere chance. We're commanded to love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar for the person who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And if we have this, and we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother. Now, love can be tough. Love does not mean, the fact that we love people does not mean that we tolerate every kind of action under the sun, even though love covers a multitude of sins. It does not equal tolerance in the removal of consequences. Proverbs 13, 24 teaches us that refusing to discipline our children is an act of hate. That's kind of dangerous to think about, right? That that if we spare the rod, if we refuse to bring discipline and correction in the life of our kids, it's not because we are showing love in that moment that we're not disciplining them and leading them in the truth. We are actually doing what is called hate in Scripture. And so we enable them to embrace destructive behaviors. Sometimes we have to show tough love to our spouse. And that can be a difficult time. If your spouse is far from God and not obeying the word of God or the things of God, there might be some tough love that has to enter into that relationship. Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13 says that God will not tolerate sin, so there are sinful behaviors that we have to say to our family and friends and the brothers and sisters in Christ, this is wrong, and love is going to point out that it's wrong because this this unrestrained love, I'm not afraid of my commitment to Christ, and I want you to walk in a relationship with him and your commitment to him as well. And so Matthew chapter 18 and Galatians chapter 6 teach us how to lovingly restore those who have abandoned their relationship, those who have gotten involved in things that they shouldn't have been involved with. It teaches us how to lovingly confront that. So we can't use love as a license to just say, I'm going to tolerate anything and everything under the sun. Love has to be tough sometimes. Love does whatever it takes. 
Love took the very life of Christ on the cross, and so love is willing to put the relationship over rights and say, we'll do whatever it takes to make things right. See, this is, a, this is a love that causes priorities to be set in our life. We let go of things that aren't so important in order to show love. Men, we don't want to be like the man who um, said to his wife early one fall, well, honey, football season is about to start. So if there's anything you need to say to me, for the next three months, go ahead and get it out right now. Let's just say that. In the Athens area, I, I really don't think I'm exaggerating when I say this, man. In the Athens area, northeast Georgia area, maybe, maybe worse in Tuscaloosa and some other areas. In the Athens area, men that usually love their wife just little bit less than they do Georgia football. It's like if you spell love, T-I-M-E, what you put time and thought into, it's kind of like Georgia football's up here, but at least my wife beats out basketball and baseball. My kids' sports programs might be just above or just below, somewhere in there. And we have all of these priorities all mixed up where it should be our love for the Lord Jesus Christ first and foremost, love for our spouse, love for our family, our children. And as we begin to love them, then all of these things will be added. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All of these things begin to fall in place because we make Jesus the number one relationship in our lives. I want you to evaluate where your love relationship is this morning. I'm going to ask Jeff to come as he begins to lead us in a time of invitation. I just want you to pause where you are today and ask, is my love mature? Is my love growing? Have I been ashamed of my profession of faith? Have, have I been ashamed to publicly identify with Christ? Have I been ashamed to share the gospel with my friends at school? Or those co-workers? Have I been ashamed to stand up for righteousness? What are those things that you would say are in your life that have kept you from being the witness? Is it because the love is not real? And then I want you to say, have I matured in this area? Have I grown in this area? Am I identifying with him? And I, I'm a public when it comes to my love and and everybody knows I'm not ashamed of my Lord and I'm not ashamed of my spouse. I'm not ashamed of my family. I'm not ashamed of my church. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God and salvation because my love is real. Would you just bow your heads right now? Every head bowed, every eye closed.